Hello and welcome to Cinema Spectator, a show where an expert and a casual movie fan watch movies in the cinematic canon. Today's film was Unforgiven, directed by Clint Eastwood, starring Clint Eastwood, Gene Hackman, and Morgan Freeman. My name is Cameron Tuttle, and I'm joined today with Isaac Ransom. Isaac, how are you doing? I'm good. I'm serious. No more happiness in Westerns. Just <laughs> raw, depressing action. Not even. Just a lot of talking and good cinematography. I'm, I'm good. I'm honestly good. Um, just a lot of stuff in my personal life going on. And honestly, at the end of the day, you got to be like, just can't complain. Life could be way worse. Sometimes that's what you got to say. So uh, just trying to change my perspective a little bit on things and stay positive, you know? Yeah, no, it's true. And actually, we're we're kind of recording two episodes almost simultaneously, which is um, funny. R- kind of rare that we do that, but um, it's good because I think it gives us a little bit more of a truncated view of like the last sort of, um, I don't know, 50 years of Westerns. I guess we'll talk about sort of where where the Western has come, if it's dead or whatever. Um, I don't think so, but uh, I mean, we'll get into it. But uh, yeah, I mean, I haven't been watching anything, like I said, because we've we're kind of recording these two almost simultaneously. So um, just this movie uh, in between, and yeah, hopefully, I'm I'm actually looking forward to watching the movie Pig in the upcoming week, which is um, that new Nicolas Cage movie. I'm excited for it. It looks good. It's gotten good reviews. So yeah, me and me and Juzo, we're gonna plan to see it. So yeah. Well, hopefully. I know I know that a uh, listener of the show, Tim Smith, really wants to watch that movie with me. He's been trying to get me to go to the theater to see it with him. Um, I haven't even seen Mandy, so I don't know. Like, I guess Nicolas Cage is kind of having a comeback with like art how like really strange uh <laughs> movies right yeah so um it, w- it will be interesting to see if it's any good and i don't even know if i can handle like <laughs> the some of the other like small cult classics that he's creating in his older age now so um yeah no i haven't i haven't watched anything either besides this and uh i attempted to get my parents to watch casablanca again and they just would not my dad was like well why don't we watch uh the great escape because he loves that movie. So I haven't seen it in a long time. I'm sure it's it's coming. I'm going to mm. watch it again. So I can't stop thinking about the scene with um, Leonardo DiCaprio in Once Upon a Time in Hollywood, though, when I think about that movie where they like yeah. planted him in it. Nevertheless, yes, this is uh, Cinema Spectator. You can support us at patreon.com slash ECFS Productions. Get, throw a couple dollars our way. Get an exclusive commentary track each month or even an exclusive episode. I don't know. Cameron and I are starting to think outside the box a little bit. So mm-hmm. you will get at least a full-length uh, special piece of content for just the dollar level. You can also have your questions read on air, just like Tim Smith writes in. Uh, he asks, if you could have any currently alive director with any actor or actress who would it be, Cameron? Hmm. Um, you know, it's kind of a hard one because a lot of the... I feel like a lot of people have been working together um, who I would want, you know? Like, I think yeah. I, I think about, like, Tarantino and, um, you know, Leo and Brad Pitt, and that's, like, that's like I, w- I want that all day. Um, I think... I mean, I don't know, because there's so many. the The thing about actor director relationships is you almost can't tell until it's happened. You know, I think about um, Heath Ledger and um, Christopher Nolan, and even actually Harry Styles and Christopher Nolan in mm. uh, Dunkirk. Yeah. Um, yeah. So sometimes, sometimes there are things that just surprise you. Um, I think, I think honestly, I want. Um, I want <laughs> this. This might be controversial, I guess, but I want a Kevin Spacey, uh, David Fincher comeback. That, that's oh. actually what I would want. Um, I know it's not going to happen, um, and unfortunately, you know, uh, he's making movies like in Europe because he's been run out of town. But um, yeah, I, I think, I think a, you know. Like a in the vein of seven kind of movie, I think that would be really great. Yeah, I've never seen seven, but I've heard of it. So, um, yeah, for me, I don't know a ton of. I feel like I have a, a small context of who to pick, but I really enjoyed um, that Twilight guy and Tenet. What's that guy? He's been in a lot Robert of good Pattinson. movies. Robert Pattinson. And yeah, I'd love so to good. Pick, 
yeah, I want to pair him with more like more of a fun director because he's kind of been in like horrible cheesy, uh, like you know the Twilight series. But then now he's like doing this artistic movie. I'm like, let's kind of move you back in the middle. I mean, he's with Christopher Nolan, but there's no, there's like nothing funny in Christopher Nolan movies. So um, it's just it's all it's all gray, you know. Um, I want to see him do a movie with. I'm blanking on the name, but the guy that did Evil Dead, what's his name? I love him. The Spider-Man trilogy? Sam Raimi. Yeah, let's see Robert Patterson and Sam Raimi do a movie together. I think that would be so wacky, and I think they could both pull it off. Because to see... Yeah, um, like a, maybe like an old school horror, like Sam Raimi horror movie. Yeah, and that'd be cool. That would be cool if it, like, you know they brought vampires in it too. That would that would even be funnier. <laughs> you know, like what if yeah. he was a vampire hunter or something like that, and it was like just ridiculous or something like yeah i don't know i think something fun and enjoyable with some energy around it um yeah i think i think Pattinson is is genuinely just a great actor um you know he showed his chops a lot in in good time which like really sealed the deal for me so i'm i'm kind of excited for the new the batman but i'm uh, you know whatever yeah <laughs> we've already had the best batman that that could possibly be so i don't know we'll see um uh, hopefully i don't know i dc has just been making some weird moves um th- although to be fair like i think th- why I, i'm not really sure why they're trying to remake suicide squad or redo like the suicide squad movie um with uh um James Gunn. James Gunn. Yeah. Um, I mean, I I assume for like redemption or whatever, but it seems pretty early to do that. But they're they're kind of all over the place. DC well, is. I actually think it's some sort of like indirect sequel or something. Because yeah, it is. It is. Yeah, it's very strange. I don't I don't have any interest to watch it. Um, what I will say about DC that interests me more than Marvel movies right now is they seem to be desperate for something, so they're taking a little <laughs> bit more risks. And and I at least I can appreciate that. Like, I want to see them do something even cr- crazier out there. I mean, the, just the fact that the Zack Snyder cut was released at all, and it's not even good, but the fact that they did something like that shows me I'm like, well, maybe they'll just go so crazy that they make something good. You never know. That's a that's a really good point. I I hadn't put it in that those those words, but um yeah, I think that's I think that's entirely possible that they can get something really weird and really outside the box. I mean, I would say Joker is one of those risks um, yep. where it, it, it paid off, but for the most part, I mean, it's just been bad. <laughs> yeah, so I I think like I don't want to see <clears throat> excuse me. I don't want to see anything like shazam again like we don't need a like a 2004 marvel movie um we like i i think what they're trying to do with suicide squad and being more crazy out there and then of course talking about joker and even batman i'm sorry but like cameron yeah the the batman trilogy the dark knight trilogy is epic i love it um but batman everyone loves batman like they're not gonna yeah. stop making batman movies you know? no it's yeah it's true so like for them to explore maybe a new side there's so many great depictions of batman in the comics that he has like a little bit of an edge or it almost could go as far as like an into the spider-verse thing where like spider-man's been around for so long that there's so many different styles of spider-man you could do the same thing with batman you know Mm. um all the iconic suits and whatnot like We've seen the normal Batman. Let's get like some Batman Beyond. You know, like that's what I'm ready for. It's something like like a, something that can pass the torch in a way. So, um, great question, Tim. Thanks for thanks for writing in. Of course, if you're a Patreon, you can write in. Uh, we do check our messenger uh, as frequently as we can remember to. So, we want questions on air. You can write in even sillier things. It doesn't even have to relate to movies. So, um, no, yeah, you can ask us um, if if you'd rather fight. Uh, a a duck sized horse or a horse sized duck, which is I, the one. <laughs> yeah, a lot of people seem to be talking about that right now. So, um, it's funny. No, I I don't want to answer that question. I don't want to fight any ducks or any horses. All right. Yeah, that's animal cruelty. Okay. All right, we're calling PETA. <laughs> yeah, if you don't have a few dollars, it's all good though. You can uh, give us a rating on iTunes. Tell friends and family if you enjoy the show. 
And this is the part where we get into the movie review, Cameron. We're talking about Unforgiven. Uh, what year was it released? What What are we doing with this? Yeah, so this was um, a movie made in 1992. Um, technically, I guess this is sort of the, the end cap in uh, Clint Eastwood's Western career. In fact, he actually said while making this movie this was going to be the last movie that he directed and starred in not true he ended up <laughs> starring in plenty more movies after this but um uh, yeah so uh this was sort of his own way of kind of passing along the torch or even just concluding his 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 own history with the western and you'll you see that because um you know he wears the same boots that he wore in um his his first western movie i i forget which one it was but um you know so so he has a couple of these callbacks throughout the movie that are designed to either pay homage to his his earlier you know to his earlier films or uh sort of you know in in some ways be um be this sort of legacy of of his own career um but this comes at a time where obviously you know we're we're about 30 almost 40 years past um you know that the heyday of the westerns and even the spaghetti western um and so you know this is at a time where there hasn't been really a great Western considered in the canon um, since probably about 1969, um, hmm. 1971, maybe if you count um, the outlaw Josie Wales. But but I think I think you know a lot of these sort of westerns in this time period, and what you'll see after this movie um, is there's actually a, a bunch of westerns that pop up, or a, a handful of westerns that pop up around this movie, um, and in, in the wake of this movie, you know, things like Tombstone, and, uh, you know, there, there's a couple other, like, actual legitimate historical westerns that, that happen around this time, but, um, but really this was... I, I think in a lot of ways, I think of this movie as sort of a final version of the Western saga of of, of the Western, um, you know, mythos. And it's one that is that is very grim. It's very brutal. It's very um, instead of, you know, in, in something like. Uh, the good, the bad, and the ugly, where you do have ambiguity. You have these characters who are not very good, um, but who you're rooting for, and uh, but they still sort of kill a lot of people. They're still they still use violence as a tool. Um, in this movie, the violence is very uh, uh, not taken lightly at all. Um, in fact, there's a lot of lead up to the violence, and then when it happens, it's very um depressing <laughs> yeah and and not not very you know it doesn't it's not looked upon as something that's that's you know heroic or um or good even if you know one could argue that maybe they're doing the right thing you know who knows i think that's part of the the sort of ambiguity of the movie but the you know the violence in all in all is is looked at as as something that is um, that is really devastating for for everybody for the for the people who who commit the violence and for um, you know the people it's committed upon. So this movie takes the um, I I do think takes a more modern sensibility with the um, with the idea of the western. It's one that. Um, treats things with more um I, I guess more like articulate means it, it's one that sort of has a has a a sense that that there was a lot of damage and destruction and and people people died for no reason in these you know in in this time and that wasn't good that wasn't something to be looked back on heroically um hmm. so yeah, so that's that's kind of my my main intro. Clint Eastwood, obviously, um, you know, after these, after the spaghetti westerns that he did with with Leone, he actually um, said that he wasn't going to work with Leone again after 
the good, the bad, the ugly. And that was particularly because he thought Leone was too slow when he was directing. Um, Eastwood is a very interesting uh, and funny guy because he he's actually taken over productions before um, because the director was too was taking too long. <laughs> yeah, and so you know, so I think he did that on. Outlaw Josie Wales, um, he actually just took over the protection and and fired the director and and finished the movie for him because he was basically like, no, nah, we're we're gonna we're gonna uh, you know we're we're gonna we're gonna hurry this up. I want to be home at five. So, um, yeah. <laughs> but um, you know through through the through the seventies, obviously he was kind of reeling from the fame of um, Good, the Bad, and the Ugly, from the fame of being that star. And then in 1971, he actually uh, he directed his first movie, and he uh, played Harry and Dirty Harry, uh, which made him an even greater star. And he he became both a Western star and an action star. Um, sorry, I did say Outlaw Josie Wells was 71. It's not. It's 76. But mm-hmm. sorry, Juzo, I got it wrong. Um, <laughs> um, so you know, so in in the seventies and in the eighties, he he became sort of a um, as he was getting older, I guess he became not just you know the the Western man with no name. He became um, an action star. He became sort of this this really big name in that time. And and to be fair, like he really evolved during during the eighties as as someone who um he he was almost like. I, I don't know. He, in some ways, he was kind of the poster child for, for the 80s film movement in a lot of ways. Um, and so then he he obviously gets older at this point. I mean, I think right now uh, he's – let's see. Okay, so in 1992, he would have been 62. So he's he's – in the 90s, he's getting a little bit older. He's starting to do more um, – I guess fatherly figures in in some ways, and yeah. and that's when he starts to pick up his his directing as well. So, um, so yeah, I I mean he he starts to to kind of his his trajectory as a as a film star starts to shift a little bit um, from what we saw in in the '60s movies, and I think you can see that, and and it's kind of funny because the trajectory of this. Um, hero that we that we follow in Unforgiven is almost the exact opposite of um, almost any other Western that we've ever seen, right? It's yeah. it's very it's very different. He starts, you know, he can't even shoot a gun or fall off, you know, he falls off his horse, whatever else, um, and then he turns into basically just the the biggest monster in town, you know, and yeah, um, and that that is a fun thing to watch in some ways but it's also very it's very it's portrayed very darkly um so yeah i guess uh do we want to talk a little bit about the story yeah yeah we'll give some background um first of all i just want to say this movie i think is pretty easy to get through it's only two hours and 11 minutes it's very pretty um and the pacing is a little slow but i think most modern viewers could sit through it uh, if you know they kind of walk in with the expectation around it, um, the story follows Clint Eastwood, like you were saying, being settled down, and he has like two kids, and his wife has passed away, and he's, so he's grumpy, you know. And then this young guy comes up <clears throat> and informs him about the first scene in the film, which is about uh, these two cowboys that are in a like whorehouse, and they end up like cutting up one of the women, um, and so there's been a bounty placed by, you know, the prostitutes on the heads of the cowboys um, to kill them for revenge because the local town sheriff didn't do enough. He let them loose and said, just pay back um, the uh, the pimp owner of the saloon or whatever uh, with horses. So the prostitutes are mad. They put a bounty on his head, on the cowboys' heads, and Clint Eastwood it's fallen over with pigs barely providing for his family. This young guy shows up and says, hey, we got to go hunt down these cowboys. And so him, the young guy, and uh, Morgan Freeman, who's his old partner, go on a journey to go find these guys and kill them. Um, 
I don't know how much we want to get into spoilers, but Cameron is right when he says like there's almost a comedic element of how old and and not like not cool Clint Eastwood is at the beginning of the movie, and um, he slowly regains his abilities and becomes this straight killer by the end. And the and the and the final scene, like the the final confrontation, is like um, it has this grounded heaviness right that like when you watch a clint eastwood film with him in a western you want to see him spinning the gun you want to see him being awesome right and he's none of that in the movie till the end where the coolness factor right which you're talking about leaves you feeling empty leaves you feeling like there's not necessarily anything to celebrate in that moment when you've been excited to see him spin a pistol and excited to like you know, um, kind of witness his like unleashed form or whatever. But instead of any sort of celebration, it's just not only is it brutal and um, it's kind of exciting in some ways because you're like, well, I have no idea. Like he sucked the whole movie and I'm going to see, you know, him go into like Super Saiyan mode or whatever. <laughs> um, but like it is uh, indicative to the film's underlying themes about like just how grounded and disgusting and heartless uh the legends of the west really were and and there, that's actually a large focus in it where there's this conversation about a writer trying to depict um you know these different like gunslingers and assassins and whatnot and he's writing down like these like big crazy stories and that's that's um that's constantly ridiculed by the men who lived through that time and said, no, it wasn't like that. Uh, as a matter of fact, the ones that lived were the calm, heartless killers, you know, that could just shoot and kill and like not feel a thing. Basically any sort of emotion was looked down upon. They were, it's like, so there's a, there's a ton of commentary about, you know, sort of the, you know, it's 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 harkening back to the gray area um, in in like the morality of being a Western gunslinger, and and unlike most of the westerns we've seen so far, instead of leaning into like, well, there's there's a bad or questionable decisions, but at the end of the day, like these are good men. That's how it like started with the end of Ford's films, right? This movie leans oppositely, where there's like, there are like some, you know, honorable attributes of these men, but at the end of the day, they're just vicious, violent, evil people, right? Like, it's, it's, um, it's, it's a swing in the other direction that we haven't seen in Westerns. And that's what makes it feel probably the most modern is there's like this level of depression around the concept there isn't a joy around exploring um it it's sad when like when they eventually find these cowboys and shoot at them right the interaction and the death of these men who did something bad is it, it makes you feel just as bad for them too like they spend a ton of time being like the bad guys aren't bad the good guys aren't good you know like no one's good no one is um is necessarily a good person at all. And so I think there's a lot of um there's a lot of interesting commentary around it around all of it. I think we could talk about this movie in, in a lot of different directions cuz my initial perspective on watching it was sort of like okay, that was good, but the more I think about it, the more dissectable the film becomes, especially with Clint Eastwood's arc of, you know, once being a legend that he hated, right? He's like living with a trauma from it to then trying to get back into that for a small reason of providing for his family. There's little warning signs from him and his friends saying like, this is not who we are anymore or like your wife wouldn't like this. Um, and then like, there's also these other moments of like age and, and almost like revelation, right? He has he has these little like low points in his hero's journey that you kind of feel like there's a um, something like wakes up inside of him, but then any chance of that hope is, you know, then later 
crushed or ignited into something different. So there's a lot of, um, I know that's being kind of vague, but I don't really want to spoil all of it um, because I think that you you should go watch this movie, even though I'm a little unsure about it. Um, I think there's a lot to pull away. Cameron, is there anything else you want to talk about, like the plot or maybe even just Clint Eastwood's arc or kind of bounce off what I've been saying? Yeah, well, I do want to talk a little bit about little Bill, who is kind of the foil to um, his archetype of yeah, to the Clint Eastwood character of being, um, you know, living through that time period, living through that that sort of violence, you know, being being a big part of the violence and then, um, you know, coming away from it at the other end, um, doing something different and being a being a changed person. And then obviously the the a lot of the thrust of this movie is sort of trying to get them together, um, I would say. Um, And, you know, like you said, we'll we'll maybe we'll go into spoiler territory later. But the the I think little Bill is a really interesting character to um, dissect in the same way because he, in a lot of ways, is supposed to be. You know, when you when you when you first meet him, he's also the the character who kind of um, you know he's just the sheriff and he's just trying to make peace in the town. And he said, you know, he says to Alice, he's like, "Don't haven't you seen enough blood spilled tonight?" And you know, and then you know he's he's a bad carpenter, and you you kind of like him uh, at, yeah. at the beginning, and he's he sort of has this charm, and that all shifts. Um, really radically once he um, w- once he starts to um, beat uh, British Bob uh, or English Bob. Yeah. And one British of the... Bob is a better name, by the way. <laughs> I think that's a way better name. <laughs> British Bob. <laughs> yeah, it's so much more fun. Um, but I th- I think um, you know he, he has he turns from being really um kind of a you know almost like a hokey i'm the sheriff kind of person um to being like really scary uh and i think that i i love that scene one of the i think the my favorite scene in the movie maybe um is the scene in the in the prison when he's um Mm. you know with the writer and he's talking and he's he's kind of going over you know oh where english bob you know where he went wrong and then he then he he gives um, the writer the gun, um, and he says, "Like shoot me," um, and, and you know, and and there's that really drawn out tense scene that I think is so good. And then he he gives English Bob the gun, or he's you know he's about to, and he you know, and English Bob doesn't take it, and he says, "It's a good thing you didn't take it because I would have killed you." Um, yeah. You know, and it's it's so it's so good, like. He he goes from being someone who you don't really think much of, or you think is kind of um, almost incapable because of his his carpentry thing, um, to being just the scariest person <laughs> in the movie, almost. You know? Yeah. Uh, they they have a but like at the same time you're you're terrified of him, but you're also um, like I feel like I could understand where he's coming from. He's one of those villains that I didn't necessarily think was pure evil. Like, there was, like, no. definitely motivation around why he was doing the things he was doing. Um, so, like, yes, he is a force against Clint Eastwood's character. But at the same time, it, like, the it's very ambiguous of, like, who's good and who's not. And it's, yeah, it's... Um, I don't know, like, I, I verbally said, like, out loud at the end of the movie when I saw, like, Clint Eastwood with his, you know, shotgun outside of the saloon. Um, I was like, dude, that guy is just the Grim Reaper. Like, I'm sitting alone in my house watching this movie. <laughs> <laughs> I'm like, he's the Grim Reaper, people. Watch out, you know? Yeah, um, yeah. Yeah, it's like, I love the um, the way that they sort of expose these legends like i don't i don't know what the right word is but it's almost like that they have something that the young people in the movie do not 
mm. and it's not a good thing to bear, but they yeah. bear it anyways. And it's, it's like they're superhuman in some ways. Uh, with the scene with um, English Bob and and um, and uh, what's his name, Little something, Little Bill, Little Bill in the prison cell is like that feels like you know King Kong versus Goliath. Yeah, or, or uh, Godzilla, King Kong versus Godzilla in that moment. And the writers just standing there like, you have no idea because these guys are from a different time, you know? The idea of the death of the West hasn't been explored too much um, in, in the films that we have watched, but I think that this is a very compelling exploration of that without being all political about the Industrial Revolution is here and all that stuff. Instead, it's more personal where it's like these guys just, they can't fit into society no matter how hard they try, you know? Mm. Um, and yeah, I just, I think that's, it's, it, it leaves so much room to be interpreted as you're looking at their attempts to fit in. They're like outcasts, but they're, it's like, it's almost unavoidable that they will end up like chewing at each other and killing each other in the end, you know? Yeah. So I, I I just found that really interesting. Go ahead. Well, what I was going to say, too, was that um, little Bill has uh, he's obviously, you know, the the character who's who's in charge of the law. You know, he has the the responsibility of the law with him. Um, And I think you're right that you don't actually get the sense that he's the the bad guy or he's the villain. He's definitely the antagonist. But. At the same time, you know, there's there's enough ambigu- a- ambiguity that you know there's there's totally room to interpret this movie as um, little Bill is is somewhat in the right, um, but at the same time he's so cruel and he's so um, uh, devilish that that you you don't root for him and you don't want him to succeed, and and I think part of that is. Um, like you said that it's like it's like the past his past life like leaking into his to his new you know new position and and there's something that's that's like he's trying to run from from the past that he he can't escape and once it catches up to him with you know with English Bob or with with Clint Eastwood's character you know once it gets to him there's no there's no escape uh and and what he does you know in response is is turn into who he who he used to be right yeah um, his he is ex- he's almost excited and joyful which is scary right yeah that, he, that yeah. his old life is coming back for him um and he enjoy like he enjoys it you know, like he enjoys the the violence and attention, and when he's rallying up all the boys to go hunt down these guys, like we're he's all positive. You know, he's like, we're gonna go get him. It's gonna be yeah. great. You know, it's gonna be like you know, and you can tell like he's slowly falling back into that. I I really think the con the the idea around like being an outcast and falling back into like your old ways is really one of the major ideas in this movie. Even the um the the representation of alcohol in the film with Clint Eastwood's character is is um i think there there's a lot of commentary that that can be said about that as well um it it just seems like one of those mo- this this movie is really exploring um the ideas of like trying to reform but then continually falling back and the, and i've been thinking a lot about the title of it too right unforgiven I just, I haven't quite decided like why it's called that because I think it's, it's almost like, I think it's like unreformed, you know, or Mm. because they are, they're apologetic, but it doesn't matter, you know, like they're still evil, all of them, you know, and even though you root for some of them in, in, in different ways. Yeah, no, it's, it's true. And, I think I would say Unforgiven um in some ways is is a reflection of how they can't fit in, you know, how they can't fit into this to this new age. And whether or not they were legends um excuse me, I'm going to sneeze. 
No, it's all good. <laughs> I've had like phlegm stuck in my throat this whole episode. I'm like, what is happening? <laughs> um, no, I think in in some ways it's a reflection of of the fact that they can't um, they can't fit in. They can't be. They can't evolve to this new society. And even though you know the younger characters, like the writer and like the the kid, who I think we should talk about too, um, they see them as sort of like legendary figures. I think they they don't consider themselves, or at least Cl- William Money, Clint Eastwood's character, doesn't consider himself to be um, that legend. He considers himself to be a monster who he's trying to he's trying to repent from, mm. um, and that's why I think it's it's unforgiven because he's, you know, I guess it's in the title of the movie, but he's never forgiven for for what he's done. You know, even in the final sequence, uh, you know, where he's talking about where where uh, little Bill is talking about him killing w- women and children. You know, it's like it, that that's something that has followed him forever, you know, followed him for the rest of his life. Um, and even. Well, I, never mind. That's a, that's a spoiler. But, um, yeah, I mean, I think I think you're right that there's unre- uh What did you say? What did you call it? Like uh, there, there's a um, man, like just, unre- unrepentant or un. It was a different R word. I'm oh, I'm trying I, to remember what it, it is. It's all right. Um, yeah. But I I think I mean I I think there's a um, you get a sense that that the the crimes of the past that some people look at as as legendaries are actually just haunting them uh, more than anything. So, um, I mean, do we want to talk a little bit about, I think, I think we could talk a lot about the interpretation of the movie and about sort of the, the way that, that the movie holds itself up in terms of its own characters. I think we should talk a little bit about contextually what you think of the movie now that you've seen, um, a lot of Western or, you know, a handful of Westerns, you, you kind of have a feel for the genre, the trajectory of the genre. Um, I don't know. Do you have any thoughts about sort of where, where this movie fits in, uh, in, in the place of, um, of the Western genre? Well, a majority of my experience with Westerns before going through a lot of these different films, I'm going to, I'm just going to name three things. It's Back to the Future 3, that's probably, like, one of my earliest, like, um, examples of something Western that I enjoyed. And then Tombstone I really enjoyed. <clears throat> and then um, Red Dead Redemption 2 has been, honestly, the video game that I'm like, I need to watch more Westerns. Because mm-hmm. Rockstar takes heavy influence from films. and unfor- I think they take heavy inspiration from this film, too, actually. That's what I was going to say, yeah. <clears throat> this movie treads some ground that... Um, is explored in that, what, 80-hour video game. Um, and they take two different approaches. I would say that Rockstar's representation of uh, the death of the West is actually more positive and honestly, like, family-oriented. Like, it, it feels very, <laughs> like... Uh, and that, no, don't take that, that that particular way, but it feels like the death... I see, I see what you mean, but yeah. it's just funny way to put it. <laughs> right. It's like the death of a group of companions, right? Like, that's their approach in, in talking about it. Whereas there are no friends in this movie. It's extremely individual. I mean, uh, even, even the partnership between Morgan Freeman's character and Clint Eastwood's character is is old you know they they trust each other but that it, it like and they care for each other in some regard but it doesn't feel like um you it feels like they're they just have a past and it's not as like knit f- focused on that it's more focused on their individual responses to the situations that they're presented with um now their friendship does come into play but it's rockstar's approach with the death of the west is really focused on um sort of a psychological approach and response to the rest of the world moving on from the West. Right. And I think this movie inspired a ton of that, even as far as Clint Eastwood's outfit compared to like Arthur Morgan's attire, they wear like the same hat. Uh, he wears like a red, like button down shirt that is, uh, similar to something that Arthur wears in sections in Louisiana where he's like, 
wearing like the the straps and like the rolled up red sleeves and all that. Um, so I I I've, I have a reverence for sort of that um, that exploration of the death of the West because of how much I enjoyed that game. And well, it was, I, and also there isn't there a side mission where you talk to a writer, um, yeah, who about sort of like the legends of of the West. Like I think that's directly taken from from this movie, obviously. Um, oh, jeez, I almost like spoiled a section of it, but that's like such a great mission. Like, yeah, because yeah. aren't you telling the stories about it, and then that's towards the end of the game, and even um, even the idea of like sickness. Uh, like mortality catching up with mm. um, the legends, right? That sort of like plays a huge part in Rockstar's interpretation of like how these guys dealt with a revelation um, in their final moments, right? So I think, I don't know. I heard someone talk about Red Dead as if it was like one of those famous like 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 a huge book that literature looks up to like they're like oh this is going to be like the odyssey of of um the video game genre because video games are are a fairly new medium right um and i yeah i i i think that uh this this movie has a lot to do with the amount of detail and emotion that that game evokes at all um i think it's more developed because it's 80 hours long but you know this movie does an incredible job in two hours posing a lot of questions without answers and i think maybe the reason that rockstar's story about the death of the west uh is more positive is because there are some answers in it and this movie just poses a lot of questions uh, it feels like they fleshed that out so i wanted to shout out that game because i always talk about it all the time and it was really cool to see a lot of its influence Throughout the Western uh, movies we've explored, but this one is like by far like m- one of the most influential for that game. I'm I'm almost positive for it. Um, yeah. So in terms of the film being a more modern Western and comparing it to the other ones we've watched, I actually found this movie to be a lot slower than the last few. And there was something about The Searchers and The Good, The Bad, The Ugly, and even Red River that had a speed and urgency to them. Um, This movie takes its time with slow scores and wide open fields and beautiful vistas. Um, But I found it to be a little bit, it felt longer than The Good, The Bad, The Ugly. And that movie is an hour longer than this, right? So I I was sort of perplexed by that uh, experience in watching it. And... I think what's strange to me is that I was like, this just feels more like a modern movie and it doesn't feel like a ton of risks are being taken and with its um, kind of with its style, its style was very like secondhand to the writing of the movie, right? The writing and the yeah. exploration of the characters is what really shined through. And I think I'm actually more positive sleeping on it. Cause I watched it last night. Um, than I was after I finished it because I think the the plot and the characters, you need time to chew on them. You need time to like really decide how you're interpreting it. So I, I feel like a little green to the conversation for sure. But um, I uh, overall, like I'm, I'm positive on it and it's neat to see a Western with a more modern lens, even if it is depressing. Yeah, yeah. Well, I I was going to say um I think that's a feature of kind of Clint Eastwood's directing in a lot of ways. Um in some ways I guess it's it's like not getting in the way of of the story, um not getting in the way of of the um you know what's what's happening. Now, th- to be clear, it is gorgeous. I mean, it's it's a beautiful movie. Yeah. There's there's I think of that um that shot right after, um, you know, what goes down at that, at the outhouse. Um, and there, you know, the, the kid is sitting under the tree and, you know, they, and he's like standing off from them and there's the mountains in the background. Like, it's just a beautiful sequence. And that, I think all of, all of that scene is, is really incredible. Um, but I would say, um, it is understated, 
in terms of, I mean, I think everything is probably understated <laughs> compared to like um, Leone's movies because he just has a very distinct and unique style. I actually think it's more a little bit more like a John Ford movie than a Leone movie, mm, you know, yeah. um, in in the way that it's, um, you know, the the. The Searchers is a, also a gorgeous movie and has a lot of really interesting directorial um, elements to it. But it's not like it's not necessarily stylish, quote unquote. You know what I mean? Like it's it 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 doesn't have the same sort of um, like Leone is the is the is the one who brought the style and and I think it's probably a good decision that this movie isn't like that. Um, and and I will say, even in modern movies, um, you know, I think of the the only person who's kind of able to capture the same stylish stylistic flair that that Leone is is Tarantino, um, and you know you see that with uh, with Django Unchained especially, yeah, um, and you see that a little bit with with Hateful Eight, but I think I think less so than than Django. Um, yeah, I, th- I mean, I think Django is his take on a spaghetti western, um, uh, Tarantino's. So, so I think I think there are modern examples of of that sort of hyper stylized, very quick, very fast paced, very interested in um, sort of the um, you know, I guess in, in very interested in in these sort of this portraying the world in a in a very specific way um and this movie you're right it's not it's not that way but that's not a knock on the movie either i think it's probably a lot better that that he didn't like make this movie super stylized even in sort of where the movie goes in the end i think it makes it much more scary actually yeah um and much more devastating when you know, when you just get that shot of the three of them on top of the rock, um, and and you just you had the sense that like, oh, geez, like there's there's something really wrong here. There's something really um, that's gone awry. So I think I think the understated um, directing style, first of all, is part of Clint Eastwood. I think that's just his his own way of directing, but it's also. Um, it's it also makes sense for for this movie, I would say. I yeah, I agree with you. I think it's justified um because of the tone of the film. But it still made me miss a little bit of the style. Like I think For sure. I think um it would be neat to see like Edgar Wright tackle a western or something like that where there's just that the quick snappiness and I was pleasantly su- surprised by the good the bad and the ugly because it had some of that stuff. So I agree with you about uh, Django actually a lot now that you put it in that in that light. Um, what you mentioned John Ford's films, and one of the things that I found different in The Good, the Bad, the Ugly is how Clint Eastwood's character, at like sort of like the the cowboy persona that he held, was actually very different than John Wayne's. And mm-hmm. for some reason in my mind, I was like cowboy is cowboy you know period like there's just the rough tough cowboy and that's it and i've learned that like the western genre has a lot of different characters um beyond that whether it's like the business scammer or the doctor or like just these the young the young guy that can barely shoot or the young guy that can shoot the up-and-comer sort of thing like there's a lot of different um staples to like the western cast uh, but I thought a leading role was just John Wayne, Clint Eastwood, they're the same. What I found interesting about this film, and it's I think your comparison to a Ford film is 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 right, is that Clint Eastwood acts more like John Wayne in this movie than he acts like Clint Eastwood, if that sort of makes sense. Yeah. Um yeah. with his like old man, tired, grumpy sort of energy <laughs> that he has in like Red River and um uh, the searchers in some ways. So yeah, I think the comparison to a Ford film is very apt. Um, but much darker. I mean, much more melancholy. Oh yeah. 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 
No, for sure. I think. I mean, I think this movie is like devastating in in the way that it it just leaves you like <laughs> it leaves you kind of um, almost like rung hollow. You know, yeah. like everything, ever all of your hopes and dreams about what this movie might turn into. It did, but it doesn't make you feel good. hundred percent. hundred percent. Yeah, it's super depressing with where um, it goes. Yeah, which which again I think is another um Clint Eastwood ism. Uh I have you seen Mil- Million Dollar Baby? I have not I watched Grand Torino and I thought it was pretty silly, so I don't know. Yeah, um well uh no spoilers for, for that movie either but um yeah million dollar baby is is one of the most just like depressing movies i've ever watched and and that takes a that takes something because i i don't really care about depressing movies usually um but that that one (laughs) that one's pretty brutal um but Oh, I know what the uh, movie's about. I was trying to think. I was like, is that like American Beauty or something? And then I remembered it's the boxing one, right? Yeah. 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 Gotcha. Um, yeah, but I, I mean, I think, well, I will say we're, we're, we're definitely going to explore more of Eastwood's movies because I think he's, he's another one of these underrated, um, especially in Hollywood directors, um, someone who has kind of, a clear vision and a clear take on on you know what makes what makes a good movie um and he he has a sense and i think i think a lot of his movies um he can be a little bit hit or miss with with some of his movies but i think you know w- this is this is one where um he like gets right at the heart of things yeah. um in the same way that i i really love mystic river which he did um, kind of around this time, actually. Um, and at the same, that's kind of similar where it's like, yeah, he, he gets, he gets to the heart of it. Um, so I, I think maybe we'll do a, a Clint Eastwood month, um, at some point. I know, I know Juza would love that cause he's, he's seen every Clint Eastwood movie, <laughs> um, which is a lot. So, um, but yeah, I I don't know. I mean, I do want to give this a rating. Um, I don't know. What do, what do you think? And then maybe we can go a little bit into spoilers because I think I think it's important to talk. I mean, I don't know. Unless we don't have to, we we kind of made enough innuendo, I guess. I think if this film is taken at face value, it is you're missing something, right? It's meant to be chewed on. I don't know, like, I just, yeah, I don't know, like, if, I I don't know if I want to recommend it for everyone, even though I believe that most people can get through this film, I feel like you need to want to chew on it. Do you know what I mean? I, I agree. And, I totally agree. And if you just watch it, like, for what it is... You're going to walk out with no thoughts and just be like, okay, you know, like it really is meant to like sit and ponder the death of the West and people who are outcasts from society. And it's, it's beyond the scope of a cowboy rootin' tootin' shootin' like movie, right? It's supposed to be something that is in the setting of the West, but can be applied to situations outside. I mean, I was thinking a lot about like, um, like war vets during this movie. Mm. I don't know why, but I was like, for some reason, like I can see a comparison or even like trauma or, uh, you know, trauma from something that someone has committed or, you know, being a criminal and things like that. Like this movie has a much larger message that deserves to be chewed on. Otherwise don't watch it. You know, like that, honestly, that's how I feel about it. So I think it's very approachable. Uh, and it's something that you could write a really good paper on. Um, I'm going to say it's for the casuals. Uh, that's like kind of our step up from for everyone. It's like, I think casual movie watchers who are ready to kind of dig their teeth in, but not necessarily be like afraid of maybe too much art artistic stuff in it, you know, like, cause it's not super, it, it, the movie is open ended enough so you can take it somewhere. So take it somewhere. Do you know what I mean? Like in your yeah. mind, like it, break it down a little bit. Uh, that's kind of no, how I yeah, feel about I, it. No, I, I I do know what you mean. Um, 
I would, I mean, I almost want to put it a little bit higher, maybe for the curious, just because, um, I, I mean, I, the thing is like, I think, like you said, everybody can kind of pull something out of it. I don't think, I don't think anybody's going to walk away being like, oh, that was, that was bad, like bad. You know what I mean? Like, I don't, I think most people can kind of get something out of it. And I, I think actually my first time watching it, I, um, I kind of, you know, I I don't know if I necessarily gave it the benefit of the doubt. Even, um, I I guess maybe I had that same sort of feeling of like, okay, you know, that was good, but um, you know, but I didn't really like, I didn't really chew on it as much as I I should have and should have given it credit for. So, I do think it's it's for someone who's maybe at a uh, or someone who is at a, a higher level can really get something deeper out of it and really enjoy the experience more. Um, I think just because there's so much to this movie. I mean, it's so it's so packed with meaning and with emotion and with um, sadness and loss and and really just um, it, it leaves you reflecting on on you know, how we treat people, how we treat, um, our sort of heroes, how we treat these, these legends and, and what we're actually endorsing in a lot of ways. So, I mean, I think, I think it's, um, I, I think it might be for either the casuals or the curious, someone who wants to, who wants to dive into something, um, something deeper. Yeah, no, I think that, I think it's, it's well put. Shot of the film camera, and we talked about uh, the end scene with the the young guy sitting underneath the tree, and Clint Eastwood standing up, looking out over the town. That's a pretty good shot. Do you have any other ones you want to shout out? Yeah, I mean, I love the one where he's he comes outside the bar at the end, and you know he's in the rain and he's draped in sort of light, and there's the there's the flag behind him, and it's just like it's just like scary you know yeah <laughs> i i love that that end sync and also um uh there's one shot that actually is really reminiscent of dirty harry which again you know kind of gives me a reminder that this is a reflection on on clint eastwood's career as well um but it's you know in the final bar and he's standing over um little bill um and you know, there's kind of that shot reverse shot that's very, very much like Dirty Harry. Yeah. Um. So. Yeah, I think a lot of the cinematography and the vistas are are beautiful in this movie. Um. I love snow in westerns. I think it's a great setting to like have a moment in. I think. Yeah. Um. And so they use snow, the snow scene, very, very wisely. I think. And. Um, yeah, the sequence with the, uh, where there, there's a lot of, there's a lot of great stuff in there. I honestly can't pick one, but the, the snow and then the rock, the rock shooting scene, um, where they're like shooting down at the guy with the horse, like, there's yeah. some really interesting cinematography in there as well. So, um, yeah, there's no shortage of, of greatness when it comes to camera work in this movie. I think honestly, I don't have much more else to say on this movie. I, I think we covered it the best we could. We could go deep dive with maybe more of a thesis around the film, but like I think we did a good job covering it. Is there anything in spoilers that you want to discuss directly? Um, no, you know, I guess I think we kind of were good enough about talking about what we actually meant that didn't necessarily i think i think it's a little we're a little spoilery in the episode but um i think that's okay and i think anybody who's seen it can you know understand what we're talking about anybody who hasn't um first of all they should watch it but i don't think they'll they'll be ruined um if they if they go through and and continue watching it i mean you know the i think probably there's there's almost an inevitability to the end. Um, yeah. The, and and that's kind of what I find most interesting about the trajectory of Clint Eastwood's character is there's this sense that he is what he is. Um, yeah. And he's going to be what he is. 
by the by the end of this film and i think that's really interesting and unique um and and I, it's almost i've never seen a movie that that does um that does it so clearly and so um convincingly um turn your sort of um you know bumble almost bumbling i guess in some ways it's it's very similar to to breaking bad actually um kind of funnily enough um not not all that similar cuz you know walter white has doesn't doesn't start you know as someone and then you know slowly move away from it but it it has the same pathway of him coming from sort of being this this bumbling doesn't know what he's doing to being the scariest man in in the room basically um so yeah so i i don't know i think i think it's really well done um you can see the inspiration that this movie has had um i do want to talk a little bit about where where the western has come um and where it w- will be going i guess in the future um i think there's been a lot of talk since the 80s um about whether or not the western genre is dead partly because of sci-fi movies um you know because they do they've done historically a lot better than than the western but what genre. happens if you put them together with cowboys and aliens then it just blows out the box See, office sci-fi western that's that's what it <laughs> no i mean but uh, i mean honestly there's there's room obviously there's room for that um kind of crossover um like i think firefly is a sci-fi western and that was really popular mandalorian sort of popular, I guess. i'd say the mandalorian, the mandalorian too. Yeah. yeah um yeah, so I mean, but that's the thing is, I think the th- the um, whether or not uh, the Western is dead, I think you can see the inspiration of the Western genre in all tendrils of of cinema right now, uh, especially action cinema. And I think, you know, my favorite example of a modern, actually like tr- true neo Western is. Well, maybe not my favorite example, but one of the greatest in in the last you know sort of ten years is a movie called Hell or High Water. That's um, you know that's like a, a straight up western, um, but set in modern day, set in the in the housing crash of of two thousand eight in in Texas. It's like it's it's a it's a really really awesome movie, um, and one that has all of the all of the great things about. Um, you know that we love about westerns, um, but you know wrapped up in sort of a neat little package. Um, I think, you know, I think you can point to examples of other sort of neo westerns like No Country for Old Men, um, and I I think I don't know. I think unfortunately Tarantino says he's only going to make one more movie, so um, you know he's not the one to do it. But um, he really was at one point the only person in, in sort of the 2010s who is keeping the Western genre relevant and alive. Um, and I think actually you saw a, a sort of a revival in, in the 2010s of the Western genre with True Grit, um, then Django, then 310 to Yuma, or that was a little earlier, but um, um, Hateful Eight, obviously. And so there there was a little bit of a, of a Western um revival and and in sort of the classic western way um but it i i don't think it's a it's a genre that's ever really gonna die because i think it still has um i don't know if it's been exhausted necessarily but it's i think people still get something out of it or get a feeling when they go back and watch these movies so I, I'm I'm not necessarily convinced that the Western is quote unquote dead. Um, I think we've seen it we've seen it rise and fall so many times, so many different um, periods of the Western, and I, I I'm I'm not necessarily convinced that it's gone forever. So, well, do we have another Western? Uh, do we have another Monday in this month? Or nope, this is it. This is the end of Western month. Yeah, Cameron. Thank you for uh, picking some great films for us to go through. I've really enjoyed it. It has not disappointed me at all, honestly. Um, where are we going moving into August? Um, well, I haven't really decided yet, but uh, I'll let you know. 
Okay. All right. We might I, be one-offs I, or it might be another theme. Who knows? Yeah. Um, you know, I know we sort of briefly mentioned maybe doing something fun for the Patreon. Um, I uh, don't want to say too much about it until, you know, unless we actually do it. But um, I think it would be a good idea personally. I don't know about you, Isaac. I kind of pitched you on it. But, um, yeah, I think it would be a fun thing for the patrons because um, there's – I'll just say there's a lot more in the Western genre that I'd like to explore. Um, and of course in the future we'll, we'll do a, a part two, but, um, uh, cause there's, there's things that we, we missed of course, but, yeah. um, you know, I think, I think so far we got a really good capture of just a, a, you know, a, a little, um, a little hit of, of what the Western has become and sort of where it's gone. the, the, the parts that it's, you know, the evolutions that it's, that it's gone under. Um, I think you got a, a fairly good education in, in the Western genre. So I agree. I agree. Well, thank you, Cameron, again, for preparing the show and patrons. Thanks for voting on this one. We'll let you know what you're getting this month. I'm sure it's going to be something special. Um, we post every Monday. Thanks for listening to the end of the show, guys. Again, you can support patreon.com slash ECFS productions if you want any of the exclusive benefits. Uh, but we appreciate you no matter what, no matter what happens. So we'll see you next Monday. Cinema Spectator is an ECFS Productions podcast executive produced by Darren O'Neill. If you want your name read in the credits of the show, you can check us out at patreon.com slash ECFS Productions to achieve this status. Thank you, Darren, for the support. And for the rest of you, we appreciate your support as well. Have a good one.